Ohio State got things back on track and looked like a complete team against, well, Rutgers, but still. We'll talk about what exactly we saw in the Rutgers game and oh, so much more in this episode of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance along with the handsome, charming, and erudite Johnny Ray Ginner. Johnny, I, you know, I got to say, this this is the most complete Ohio State look all season long. I, I don't think it's a stretch or a controversy to say that. We can put the comma caveat uh, that, well, it was Rutgers. But if I look down through our score predictions as a staff, we expected, I think, or maybe gave a lot more respect to Greg Schiano's Rutgers team than uh, the talent disparity, I guess, bore out. Were you expecting the good old-fashioned butt whipping that the Buckeyes laid down on the Scarlet Knights going into the game? No, I thought Rutgers would be a lot better defensively. I didn't think they would be great offensively, and I thought that was definitely an opportunity for Ohio State to you know, get some things figured out on defense, but defensively for Rutgers I was surprised that Ohio State was able to just do whatever the hell they wanted from the very first jump I mean it was you know when you score 24 points in the first quarter (laughs) it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the game I don't it's really interesting too because you know we sit here and we watch these games and they're fun and they're enjoyable but at a certain point if you watch enough of them you can get a pretty good idea about how something's going to turn out relatively early and I'm sure that's with any Ohio State fan. You've probably been watching Ohio State for your you know whole life. Yeah, you've seen hundreds of games, and you know you know that when Ohio State jumps out, you know to a 24 to six lead after a quarter, there probably isn't going to be a whole lot of drama in the next three quarters. And there wasn't like, and I can't imagine what it must be like for the players who are actually there. Um, so Ohio State just they just straight up dominated offensively. They look great defensively, but. You know, I, I think this probably says more about Ohio State's offense with C.J. Stroud than it does with their defense, but it says some pretty good things about their offense. Like a lot of people, you know, C.J. Stroud coming off an injury, a lot of people kind of doubting them, maybe thinking, you know, okay, well, let's see what else is out there. And I think there's no more argument going forward. He is definitely solidified as Ohio State's starting quarterback. He did great. He was an incredible, uh, he was, he played incredibly well on Saturday. It's really hard to make some of these comparisons that I'm about to make because you could go through the whole litany of, well, who's been taking all of the practice reps with the ones, uh, level Mm -hmm. of competition, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Kyle McCord looked fine, right? He looked fine uh, in his outing as a starter um against yeah, wasn't great, one of the was worst fine. teams in the fbs yeah he looked fine looked fine good enough to win uh big 10 freshman of the week we'll talk about that more in in a minute but you know you and i had been for i think the first three weeks of the season trying to oh i, I guess speak reason to the fan base and the audience on this podcast and and certainly i was making the case in in the debriefing each week that C.J. Stroud was not the quote-unquote problem with the Ohio State team that we were all worried about through Mm -hmm. the first three games, let's say, of the season. Maybe he wasn't perfect, but you and I, I think, consistently made the case this kid's a true freshman uh, who, you know, is out there making his first snap as a college starter, his first snaps, there's going to be growing pains. And, oh, my God, if your growing pains include throwing for 300-plus a game, (laughs) <laughs> yeah I'm not like what are we, what are we upset about, about and here's yeah. the game i think everyone was expecting the guy looked electric he made he made all the throws he needed to make uh no he wasn't throwing 60 yards downfield every time this offense he doesn't have to he ran a few times when he needed to i was really happy with the poise the accuracy the decision making mm-hmm. i i don't think there's much you could knock stroud on this week is that a is that a fair assessment yeah no i i, to- I totally agree with that and the thing is like you'll watch other games too and you look at teams who are you know struggling with quarterbacks without a lot of experience guys who are coming in and, and doing their first full seasons under center and ohio state comparatively i think you got to be pretty happy with what you have as an Ohio state fan compared to a Clemson or, you know, some other teams, even in the big 10, right. Where, and you can even look at veteran quarterbacks in the big 10 that people expected to be great and and just have not been. Um, So I, I think, well, let's, well, let's put this to the test. Who's the quarterback in the big 10 you'd trade him for. Right. Exactly. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Who's the quarterback in the FBS you would trade him for. I'm not trading him for Spencer Rattler. No. And, and that's the thing though. A lot of people, that's what's so fascinating to me is how people try to project 
these quarterbacks, right? Because there's so much hype build up in the offseason because they're the signal caller. They're the guy who's going to get the ball every snap. I get that. But there are so many guys over the years who we have hyped up in the preseason and then just not delivered. And really the only thing that you can compare or expect, I guess, of a guy like CJ Stroud going into the situation that he's at is, is he making Ohio state better? Is, is he making the team more likely to win? And right now he is like, I don't, there, there is no, I mean, the, he's clearly better than the other people on the roster. I don't think that's an argument. Um, he's throwing for 300, you know, 20, 330 yards a game. I just, I don't know what else you want from the dude. Um, so it was, it was, and it was fun. And it was, the other thing is, is that like, he is working really well within the offense. He's not like forcing things. He's not just, you know, just hucking up balls in the air and hoping that, you know, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave bail him out. He's not doing that. He's playing a very mature, calm, collected role. And that's what you want, especially out of, out of a guy who, again, has so little experience. Um, so I agree. Yeah. And I think the point like nationally, who you would trade him for, I don't know at this point, like Bryce young, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's like, he's playing as well as pretty much any other quarterback in the country, honestly, yeah. when, when he's on and, and clearly against Rutgers, he was on and he's healthy. I think he's as good as anybody else. Hey, and, you know, give a shout out here, a couple stats, uh, our colleague Griffin tweeted out yesterday that I thought were really brilliant. So, um, you, you look at CJ Stroud, he has the sixth best total QBR in the country at 85.3, the sixth best passer rating at 181.9. And here's the rest of the story. His current passer rating Griffin reported is higher than any full season of Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, JT Barrett, or Braxton Miller while at Ohio state. It's pretty I, good. Know, look, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the thing that gets me is, is we have had such a great string of quarterbacks to talk about at Ohio state, uh, in, in, you know, the urban Meyer Ryan day era and, and going back to, to, you know, really you could, I guess you could say, you know, from kind of you know, Troy Smith and Terrell Pryor, throw them in there too. You know, Jim Trestle had some great quarterbacks too. Mm-hmm. There've been so many great players in that position to talk about that these guys just get nitpicked apart. I mean, look, look how much people complained about JT Barrett. You know, he rewrote every record in the right. Big Ten record book, you know, and we still found things to gripe about. Well, you know, every quarterback, this isn't, this isn't designing Joe Montana and Madden, you know, like on, <laughs> on, on, on your free this time. This isn't create right? a player. No, can't, no. Can't make a guy who's seven feet tall, throws the ball hundred <laughs> yards. So, so you're looking at, okay, right. But you're looking and saying, I mean, Justin Fields is probably the closest to that as you get. Right. I mean, like, what would you change yeah. about that guy? Not a hell of a lot. Right. And here you've got a guy through, you know, basically we're, we're reaching the midway point of the season pretty quickly. And here's a guy who's got a higher QBR, uh, and passer rating rather that, uh, is, is better than all of them. Yeah. I would just, I would, I would ask people if you're still on the fence about CJ Stroud, just look around the big 10, right? Look around and look at the other quarterbacks for the other big 10 teams and compare what CJ Stroud has done to what they've done. Because right now CJ Stroud is basically just blowing them all out of the water. And, you know, his closest, and if you're looking at like quarterback rating, Sean Clifford, Peyton Thorne, fine. Okay. They're good. They're not, you know, incredible, but, he's honestly just far and away. And again, yes, he does have weapons around. People always like to say, well, he's gets the throw to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Yeah. And Jackson Smith and Jigba and all the other guys, that's fine, mm-hmm. but he's still getting it to him and he's doing what he needs to do. Um, and, and, and my counter to that, by the way, is Chris Olave isn't staying for another season. If he didn't think CJ Stroud oh, was the man with the plan. Yeah, no way. Like yeah, to me, not. that says more about the quarterback situation in Ohio state than anything. Cause that guy could have gone and gotten paid real adult money to be playing on yep. Sundays this season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So, you know, he's doing great. Uh, the rest of the team against Rutgers offensively was great. It sucks that you know, I, I was really hoping that like Travion Henderson would run for 300, 400 yards and it looked like he might've. <laughs> so, Just, so does that, does that uh, him, him leaving the game as early as he did, did that derail any, any nascent Heisman campaign that, that might've built for him? Cause that's a cat that, yeah, you I, know, there's I, a lot of hype that could come for him because he's, he's burst onto the scene. I don't want to sure. say unexpectedly, he's one of the top rated recruits in history, but now, I don't know that anybody was expecting him as a true freshman to not only come in and win the starting position, but then just look like, geez, this is the next Maurice Claret. 
right right it would have been hard enough for him to do that regardless um but now that you've missed significant playing time in two games um you know one's not necessarily your fault but like yeah i just i don't think he he has the juice he would have to come out and run for like 150 200 yards every game until the end of the season um to really get that i will say though what's kind of interesting is that um you know we've there's been seasons where you look at the top running backs in college football and there's all there's like one guy who's just running for like 500 yards more like you know like uh chuba hubbard right who would, yeah. who would run for you know like 200 yards of games or whatever um now you don't really have that this season b john robinson who of course is like a huge you know recruiting miss for ohio state which really you know i think stings although like i said Trayvon henderson not exactly a bad consolation price he's kicking butt at texas and he's going to be obviously a focal point of their offense um kenneth walker at michigan state big big time um you know running back there but there isn't like a huge big like name out there so i think I think the Heisman talk, I think that's super premature. I don't see that happening this year for him. But in terms of, you know, national prestige is maybe one of the best running backs in the country. He can definitely regain that. Um, And apparently, you know, they're saying like he was okay after the game. He should be fine. It was just kind of precautionary and, you know, making sure he didn't hurt himself any further or anything like that. Um, So if he can come back and get some carries, then I think, you know, I think he'll be able to to make an impact. It's just he has so few carries at this point. Um, you know, the guy, I mean, compared to his what's peers. It, what's he averaging now? Like 11, 12 yards to carry something? Yeah, like it's almost it's ridiculous. almost 10 yards to carry. Yeah. He's averaging almost 10 <laughs> yards to carry. And like that's <laughs> that's pretty good for a guy who, you know, plays like just you know spottily and, and hasn't really gotten a full game's worth, honestly, of like, you know, carries under his belt. So you know, like I said, I was a little disappointed that he wasn't able to just kind of grind it out for 300 yards against uh, against Rutgers, but he probably will at some point in his career um, we, because we gotta, he's, he's the real deal. We got, we got to talk about this offense in in big picture terms, so I think people understand how good it is, even even including a loss to Oregon. All right, Ohio State has the number three team in SP plus. Now that's overall number one offense. NSP nice. plus this week. Uh, and, and number one, you know, by a decent margin, Ohio state rated 46.7, uh, in offensive SP plus the number two team in the country is North Carolina at 41.7. So there's, you know, a 5.6 point differential between number one and number two, uh, Ohio state also, by the way, number two in special teams, SP plus, Thank you, Ozzy Wonder from Down Under, for being one of the best punters in the country. And great. field goal kicking has been more than serviceable this year. Happy day there. Uh, defense made a big improvement. We'll talk about the defense more later in the program. When you look at other metrics of how good the offense is, uh, after Saturday, the Buckeyes now have the number one total offense among teams in the AP Top 25, number two in the country overall at 555.6 yards per game, they're just behind Pittsburgh. Apparently, Pittsburgh's just gone nuts at 558 yards per game. Yeah, they're wild. Uh, you know, this this offense is so prolific. And granted, you know, we've been in an era, Urban Meyer, Ryan Day, where we've had these uber prolific offenses, but this is this is an offense. Um, you haven't seen quite this explosive in a couple of years, it doesn't feel like. Justin Fields was great and consistent and so on, but they were able to kind of shut it down early. And now all of a sudden you've got this. Well, you know, look at Henderson. He could pop off a 40 or 50 yard run literally any time. Right. <laughs> As you saw, right. That's, you know, you just, that's, that's what happens. You just kind of gets on the game and then you're like, okay, well, that could be an instant touchdown. Then you're blinking, you miss it. And it's wild. Um, so I, you know, overall, if you're looking at Ohio State's, I, I think that's what Ryan Day expects of this team. And maybe because of the first, you know, few or so games of the season, Ohio State fans are like, oh, maybe they're taking a step back, and then that's where you put undue, um, I think, pressure or criticism on the quarterback. Uh, but really, the defense is what we, you know, <laughs> what we're more worried about. What we, I think, probably should devote maybe the focus of our consternation um, more often. And uh, you know, speaking of, they were they were pretty darn good against Rutgers. I thought I thought things went well against the team and a player uh, in federal with uh, them at quarterback who can provide some interesting things 
um, you know, especially with his legs. Uh, I think they did pretty well against Rutgers. I was I was pleasantly surprised with how well they were able to handle, especially um, the rushing attack from the Scarlet Knights. Although, you know, Rutgers isn't exactly an incredible running team, but the fact that they were able to shut them down and, and really eliminate that part of the offense from them was something that I was pretty surprised and happy about. This uh, was the, you know, as I said at the top of the program, the most complete performance Ohio State's pitched all season, and that was precisely because of the defense making great strides. And, and yeah, we can caveat this. Well, it was Rutgers all you want. Uh, their offense has not been one of the best offenses in the country. That's true. But I think we would have all looked and said this isn't one of the better defenses in the country either at Ohio State. So mm-hmm. you know, some, something had to give. What what Matt Barnes has done in the the basically two weeks since uh, he got you know play calling responsibilities whatever you want to call it uh, Kyle Jones had a great film study this week I highly encourage people to read talking about the changes and in, in the way Barnes and and Combs and the other defensive staff members have basically transformed into a two deep defense in two weeks time right he mixed up a lot of mixed up a lot of different looks. Uh, given gave Vidrill a lot of uh, different things to think about, you know, confuse things pre-snap, and and the proof was in the pudding. Uh, you know, it wasn't a sack fest by any stretch, but my golly, Denzel Burke, a nice little coming out party there in the uh, in the pick six, and you had uh, three interceptions on the day. I mean, it, a year ago, if you'd have been telling me they were going to get three interceptions and pick sixes and so on. Uh, out of the secondary i just no way you know, <laughs> no way our pass yeah, defense was terrible right it was terrible and now it looks like a real strength of the team and they also shut the run game down against rutgers which was mm-hmm. which was great to see uh I, would would you have ever guessed that they could kind of totally revamp this defense in in two weeks the way they have i think they've done a really good job there you know i i think that we still haven't quite seen the kind of challenge that maybe it seemed like Oregon even, you know, would possess uh, to, to really to, to kind of confirm, I guess, what we what we want to see from this defense. But on the other hand, you see a guy like and I love that this is kind of developing to his nickname too, but Rocket Ronnie Hickman out Heck there yeah. doing things really. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily the best player on the defense. I think that goes to Burke. Um, he's just he's just so good at, at DB and, and especially so young. But. Uh, Hickman is just so consistent and at a really important position for the secondary because you've got to have guys who can play good assignment football, mm-hmm. um, particularly if you're really kind of concerned about your linebackers and some other things. And you've got a young secondary. You need to have a guy who can play assignment football and be where he needs to be and do the right thing so that other people aren't out of position. And Roddy Hickman does that every play. He's, he's exactly where he needs to be. Obviously, he's getting a ton of tackles because of that, but I think he's just kind of a glue guy who is making sure that everybody else is, um, you know, kind of where they need to be and, and able to make plays. So he's he's been great. And, you know, when you've got two, like, solid guys and Burke and Hickman, that makes everybody else better. Um, so, again, have they, have they faced a giant passing attack that's really forced them to adjust and do whatever? No will they No. <laughs> so it's it's fine like they've they've basically i mean if you look at their schedule in the big 10 i mean what you got maybe penn state is going to be that team uh so they've got a lot of time to develop and get better and you know like i said when you've got two guys who are kind of really solid back there that's going to help that development the thing that uh, i keep hearing from experts including Mr. Jones, and then also uh, Joshua Perry with his uh, great Perry on point series at 11 Warriors this season is talking about how much faster this defense has looked in the past mm-hmm. two weeks. And, Absolutely. 100%. And, you know, a lot of that comes from being more comfortable, clearly, uh, that right. for whatever reason, they didn't look like they were comfortable, even as simple and vanilla as the scheme was and so on. It, you know, we talked about that with, with Kyle Jones after the Oregon uh, debacle as, as just how unprepared the team looks. They looked really comfortable and prepared against Rutgers and some of, you know, mixing up the concepts, uh, more pressure, more blitzing, more shifts, more adjustments and so on. I, you know, it's interesting. They look, it, it looks like a more com- complex defense. And yet 
the players look more comfortable and are able to execute at a higher level with speed, which is, is going to obviously allow them to use their talent advantage, speed being one of those things that you, you tend to think Ohio State's going to be faster than most teams they play this season. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that to me bodes very well when I hear people talking about how much faster the team looks, bodes well for going into a tougher Big Ten schedule. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, it, it is about comfortability and, and knowing what your assignments are and whatnot. And I agree. I mean, they definitely are playing faster. They're definitely looking like a team that is much more confident in what they've, you know, been asked to do on the field. So, um, you know, it's it's cool. It's fun to watch. They, <laughs> It's weird because, you know, earlier on, you know, especially after the loss to Oregon, it's like, okay, well, Big Ten's wide open. Anything can happen. Now it feels like maybe things are starting to, to solidify a little bit with that said you've still got iowa penn state you know michigan state teams that people didn't expect to look as good as they have i'll even throw michigan in there mm-hmm. reluctantly well, um uh you know I, I still think ohio state's in the in the what cabbard seat here i think they're doing okay but um it'll be interesting to see what kind of challenges the rest of the big 10 gives them uh, in the next few games here. And especially, you know, a guy like Adrian Martinez or whatever, you, there's just, you, you have, you really don't know. There's so many different play styles and offenses, and it's not like the old big 10 where you stop one thing and then you're, you're good to go for the rest of the conference. Um, yeah. So it, there will be challenges. It doesn't necessarily mean that like these teams are super talented and will be able to compete in that manner against Ohio state, but they still have to be prepared for a lot of different things that'll be thrown at them. Yeah, and, and you know, Rutgers is a much better team than Akron. Certainly, you know, if you were lining up uh, Akron, Akron, and and Rutgers, you know, Rutgers would be favored by probably thirty or thirty-five points on a neutral field, even though they are, you know, maybe sixty-second in the country. I think in SP plus something along those lines. So, so you do have to take the 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 win with a, a a bit of salt relative to a Penn State and Iowa, Michigan. Uh, three pretty good teams suddenly find themselves in the top 10, 11, uh, the, the polls this week. But I, I think a lot of folks probably are feeling a lot better after seeing Ohio state come out there and look like, Hey, they have maybe some defensive mojo working now that they just hadn't had for really three, four weeks of the season. Uh, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a comfort it's a comfort to know progress has been made or being made. Now we got to talk about Maryland. Let's uh, let's turn the page a little bit because we're we're coming up against a team that I think we also tend to maybe discount as uh, as an opponent to be concerned about. And yet, this is Maryland's best start uh, since 2016. They're mm-hmm. four and one under Mike Loxley. Have you had a chance to watch? much Maryland football or, or have a, have a feeling about whether or not they're worth a plug nickel. Well, the thing about Maryland, I mean, we want them to be interesting. You know what I mean? Same with Rutgers, honestly, but, and Nebraska, like you want them to be a good representation of big 10 football. And I remember, you know, they, they come out looking like gangbusters every so often, and then maybe it doesn't quite end up that way. Um, you know, at the end. So I, you know, I have watched a little bit of them. They, they are interesting um, in, in a number of ways. You've got a team that can, you know, hang 60 on a really terrible team, <laughs> uh, look okay against Kent state, barely beat Illinois, get destroyed by Iowa. They just, it, to me, that is quintessential Maryland Terrapins football, where you really don't necessarily know what you're going to get on a week to week basis. They have talent. There are guys there uh, who can, you know, make an impact, particularly a quarterback. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's hard to get a read on that team because they they are so up and down, and they've got talent, but it just it doesn't seem to be able to, you know, be there on a consistent basis. It's kind of wild. I was I was reading this uh, nice <laughs> nice little statistic. You know, up to 2018, everybody remembers the 52 to 51 overtime win in College Park, but up until that point. Uh, the first four meetings between the two programs, Ohio State had a 39-point margin of victory with a combined score of 225 to 69. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, last year, the 2019, 73 to 14, you know, 62 to 14 in 2017, 62 to 3 in 2016. No, it's just Ohio State has beaten this team like uh, an old drum 
consistently just about yeah. every every time uh you know with the one one very specific exception yeah. <laughs> one very specific exception i i don't know that i feel like this is the year that makes another exception however uh you know they they have um they are tied for the most sacks in the big 10 mm-hmm. ohio, ohio state starting offensive line hasn't given up many at all sacks this year they've been fantastic so i'll be curious to see what um you know what what that looks like does this defense this defensive line get any pressure uh on cj stroud nobody's really been able to do that yet because even oregon you know it wasn't stroud had a clean pocket all night against oregon it wasn't that yeah. wasn't the breakdown there um so i you know i don't know it's tagovailoa you know has not been fantastic uh, since the Iowa game. He was fine, you know, before that. And uh, then the inconsistencies came out, those interceptions, my gosh, mm-hmm. kind of crazy. And so they've had a boatload of, of uh, turnovers because of that. Are you, are you going to, are you going to call the shot that this one will be another uh, Rutgers style beatdown or, or bigger yet, or, or are you going to uh, take the conservative wait and see approach because we want to see if this defense reverts to mean. Yeah. I, I would want to be a little bit more conservative. I think Ohio state's like, you know, almost a three touchdown favorite, something like that. And you know, a lot of that I think relies on the defense continuing their really good play. So, you know, I, I still want to see it on a week to week basis, I guess. You know, like I, I want to believe, I want to believe, right? But I, I think I just need to see it against a few more teams in a row before I'm like, okay, Ohio State's defense is fixed or they're going to be consistently at least good. Um, Maryland will provide a unique opportunity to see if that's actually the case. And I wouldn't say that Ohio State's going to win by 45 or 50, but it's possible. And, and you could see a recreation of that because Maryland, at least talent-wise, I think is relatively similar to Rutgers. And Ohio State certainly has the, you know, the dogs to, to kind of make that happen. I just I, I want to see the defense turn in another really good performance to allow the offense to put up that many points. Yeah. What will that look like? So what what are the things there that you're you look and say, OK, I, I want to see X, Y and Z from this defense. Is it hey, I want to see, see? Well, I want to see defensive. I want to see the defense get after it in terms of like turnovers. And, you know, you, you talked about like the, you know, the interceptions and, mm-hmm. you know, the pick sixes and all that stuff that I think that's a huge part of it. Right. Because if you're as an offense, if you're concerned about the other team being ball hawks, you're not going to take as many chances down the field. Right. With with the long passing game, you're not going to try to get super creative or goofy in the backfield because you're like, OK, you know, if, if we fumble back there, they're going to recover it. You've got to be aware of that. So I want to see Ohio State's defense really continue to like be ball hawks and be a defense that that gets turnovers. Um, they don't have to you know, hold the opposing team to 100 yards of total offense. But if they're scary in that way, I think that actually impacts the game maybe even more so than, you know, if, if they are just known as a really great, you know, rushing defense or something like that. So um, they, don't, they don't have to look like the 85 Bears is what No, but I, I, yeah, but I want them to, con- I want them to continue to be that get after it, get interceptions, that kind of thing. If they can continue that, then I think that's a really great sign overall. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, one of the things I find, Interesting. I always like to do this when you're taking a couple of opponents like this and you're trying to figure out, okay, uh, where does this fall in the, the grand scheme of things? So if you were using SP plus as the metric, uh, just because it's a handy tool of reference, if you were in a plot, Maryland versus Rutgers, uh, Maryland would be, uh, no, not quite a nine point favorite on a neutral field. So, you know, they're, they're not, they're not going to run away with it according to the the data over over Rutgers. Rutgers comes in, like I said, about 62. Uh, Maryland is actually number 21 in the country in SP plus, which is kind of wild. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they're a bit more balanced than I would have ex- expected. So this is one of the things I always find interesting when I'm looking at those advanced metrics is how does the offensive rating compare to the defense? So you look at an Alabama, for example, it's the number two overall SP plus team in the country number four offense, number six defense. So they're not the best in the country at any given thing. They're just consistently better than everybody else at everything. Uh, Georgia, on the other hand, you know, has the number one defense and it's number one with a bullet uh, versus their offense is number 13. So their, you know, offense is okay. Certainly a top 15 offense is good, but their defense is much better than their offense. 
And, and Maryland is more one of those teams that's, you know, a little heavier weight of the offenses as their number 18. So that's their calling card, their defense, number 33. Ohio State falls into this boat in a big category because you have number one offense in the country, just the number 27th defense in the country. Uh, and then, as I said, number two in the special teams, which I think is kind of is kind of fun because last couple seasons, special teams were farther down that in the SP+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just bring that up to say, you know, Maryland is one of the better teams, statistically speaking, that Ohio State has faced so far this season. Certainly Oregon's the outlier there, but, um, you know, Maryland would be better, you know, would be a better opponent than Minnesota, um, certainly better than Akron Tulsa, and, and now a fair bit better than Rutgers. So this, your comment earlier about this would be a much, this would be a very interesting match. Um, totally agree with that. And at the same time, history suggests this shouldn't be close. <laughs> right. Right. Which I would be fine with. I would, you know, it's, it's always fun when you're an Ohio state fan and you're in the second quarter and you're like, Jesus, we're still in the first half. <laughs> like it kind of felt that way. more minutes. The Rutgers game, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, uh, kind of looking around definitely... like, Oh my God, I got laundry to do. Well, and especially, you know, these, these, games away. Have, these games that have been on Fox, you know, and Oh my God, you yeah. do commercial kickoff commercial and you're like, this ass whipping right. is going to last four and a half hours. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Which <laughs> I really, I, I hate that Fox is trying to make that like the norm, right? Because, and this is something we've talked about before in the dubcast, but how Fox does college football and, you know, obviously by extension, big 10 and all that stuff. Um, they, they try to kind of like normalize their, you know, homogenize their NFL and college coverage. And it's mm-hmm. just, I, I cannot stand that. They, they got to be able to understand that the production has to be different. The presentation has to be different. Um, people have different expectations for that. So I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting. And uh, I'm excited for next week. Cause you know, I want to see, I want to see Trayvon Henderson have a full game where he rushes for 350 yards or CJ Stroud throwing for 500, whatever. I just, I just want to, I want to see more of that as the season kind of builds and goes on. All right. We've got to, we got to shift gears to talk about the rest of the big 10. We haven't talked about the rest of the big 10, a bunch this season yet. Uh, but, but I definitely want to get your take as uh, somebody who's, who's paying attention to at least one other big 10 team in particular in that team up North will get your read on the latest uh, threat level momentarily, but for your money, uh, setting aside Ohio state, who's the best team in the big 10 through five weeks of the season. Oh, that's, that's hard for me. I, because I don't know that I necessarily believe in Iowa, right? Like I'm not saying they're bad. I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, I don't think Penn state's bad. I think Michigan state's bad. I just, don't know that I look at a team like Iowa and I am like 100, you know, 100% convinced that they're legit, that they're for real. I, I would probably go with Penn state at this point um, just because I think they're, they're the more complete team in general. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's really hard at this point because you will kind of see in a few weeks, maybe a little bit more hard data on, on that. And you can kind of make the better determination, but right now I think it would probably be Penn state. Yeah. And, and you know, Iowa, uh, it, the question about, are they, are they legit or not? You know, this, so this Maryland game you know, mm-hmm. 50, 51 to 14, you know, I got, I just got done pumping up Maryland as an interesting matchup for Ohio state and, and, and didn't, you know, mention the fact that, Iowa just shellacked them upside yeah up one side and down the other so you know you ask that question is Iowa that good or is Maryland you know not as good as a four and one record would indicate uh you know I Iowa doesn't get a bunch of love in SP plus because their offense is so middling um right I mean actually statistically they have a pretty bleh offense but they have an exceptional defense Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then you look at Penn state, you know, Penn state's a different story where, you know, they're a bit, a bit more, more balanced. I, I right. guess you would say, well, the uh, thing is though, like if you look at their games, right. They, both of those teams, both Iowa and Penn state have games wh- while they're both undefeated. Great. Congratulations. That's awesome. 
they both have games where you're like, wow, that is not, not becoming of a top five team. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Iowa beat Colorado state, Colorado state, not Colorado, Colorado state 24 to 14. Right. That's not a game where you're like, Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's a huge resume builder. Right. That's, that's yeah. the kind of game that we look at and go, yes, the representative from the big 10 conference, the Iowa Hawkeyes, like that's, that's what we're talking about. Um, you know, and then you look at maybe Penn state and Penn state comes out and they, you know, they beat Villanova 38, 17, which is fine. Kind of pedestrian. They only beat Wisconsin by six. Wisconsin's not a really good football team at all. Um, it's just, it's, that's what I'm saying. It, it's hard to get to beat on these teams. And now that you're in conference season, of course, they're just going to kind of play each other. So it's like, okay, well, you know, does that actually confirm anything? Um, but it's, it's just interesting. It, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of develops. Well, and the thing that all three of these teams have in common, and these three, by which I mean Penn State, Iowa, Michigan, all three of them are the analog of Ohio State in, in terms of their strengths. Those are three mm-hmm. teams who hang their hats on defense. Yep. Fantastic defenses. And their offenses are just, are just fine. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're okay. Uh, not, you know, not, not world beaters. I mean, Iowa's is, Iowa's is a much worse offense than either Michigan or Penn state, Michigan and Penn state, you know, to me that that's an interesting football game because, oh yeah, Michigan and Michigan and Penn state, that's the same team playing itself. Yeah. Is that, I mean, is that, am I, am I, uh, no, no, that? no. I think that's a great, I, I think, I think Penn state has a little bit more talent in terms of wide receiver play, yep, but that, yep. they're very, very similar teams. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, you can even look at Michigan, but it's funny is Michigan state is really kind of the fly in the ointment and all of this, because they're the team that to me is maybe the more dynamic or interesting team in terms of, at least in terms of offense among those, those teams that aren't Ohio state in the big 10. Uh, but I don't think overall they're as talented as the other teams. So that's, you know, Michigan, Michigan State is a game that I'm really looking forward to just because I think, as you said, that there's a very different styles of play. And um, by November, I think you're going to see a lot more. Uh, I don't know what the word would be. You're, you're just going to have more information in the Big Ten. You're going to have much more clarity on, on what the conference hierarchy is mm-hmm. uh, because so many of those teams are similar. And then you've got the one that I don't think is is quite as as you know similar as the rest of them so and that'll look, be kind of had, interesting to watch and look if you had michigan state at five and oh on your bingo card you know hats <laughs> yeah. off to you because i you know and all the respect in the world to mel tucker i i didn't see that coming no uh it, and you want to talk about how good that big 10 east is you know there you've got four teams michigan penn state ohio state michigan state you know tied for the division um and they're all undefeated ohio state with that one loss. how weird is it that ohio state's the one of those four teams with a loss on its record uh and then of course iowa is the one decent team in the west um the competitive the competitive uh mismatch between those two divisions never more in stark relief than it is this season where you have one one good team in the west and several dumpster fires uh by the way, worst offense in the Big Ten in terms of yards per game, the Iowa Hawkeyes um, below everybody. <laughs> so so wild. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like that can't be sustainable. And, and this isn't this isn't you know 2001, 2002, right? Champ- with Ohio State. D- D- defense wins championships, John. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. It's it doesn't. It, look, if Nick Saban says that it doesn't anymore, then it doesn't. That then yeah. it's over, right? Yeah. The man has so, spoken. Right. He's spoken, it must be true. So it is written, and let it be done. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, so I I just, you know, that's what I mean by there will be more clarity at the end of October. October is gonna be a really fun month in the Big Ten. I think there's gonna be a lot of interesting games, a lot of fun games where you just, you might see some surprising results and you might see some things that kind of confirm what people thought. I, I want to talk about Michigan a little bit because you write my favorite ongoing uh, series on the site in the threat level. So tell us friend, how, how good or bad is Michigan at this point through the season? And are they uh, living up to your expectations of, of hilarious Harbaugh-ism at this point? Um, <laughs> I don't you know, uh, yes, kind of. They're a much more consistent team than they've been in the past. That's really the thing. It's not so much that 
they are a great team or have a huge amount of talent because I don't think either of those are the case, but they go out, they beat a Wisconsin team and a game, you know, I think it was like 38, 17. I think that was the score. And it's not, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching this thing and it's like, it was basically a game halfway through the third quarter and you know 38 17 seems like a pretty significant win against wisconsin at wisconsin right so you're at camp randall michigan hadn't won there since 2001 i think um so for them it feels like a really big deal wisconsin's bad their offensive line is complete garbage graham mertz is the worst quarterback in the big 10 um you know wisconsin's a name and so I understand where some hype might come from for Michigan from that, but really to me, that's the equivalent of playing, you know, a Purdue or something like that at this point or Minnesota, because they're just, they're not very good. They really aren't. So I, you know, for two weeks in a row, Michigan's rushing game has gotten completely stuffed. They've tried, and it's not, you know, the worst thing was for them is that last week they kind of just gave up being creative in the rushing game and they just ran against the wall and it didn't work against Rutgers, but they still won that game. They pulled it out, and that's what good teams do. And then against Wisconsin, they they didn't, you know, go complete caveman style. Like they actually tried to incorporate some interesting concepts, some sweeps, some bash concepts, all that stuff. And it still wasn't working. So I think what teams have decided to do is they're going to sell out against the run, which is a good idea, and then force um you know Cade McNamara to try to beat him Cade McNamara is not very good I don't think he's a very good quarterback I I think he is consistently himself but he's basically fair to middling and he's not going to be much better than that and he's not going to get a ton of help from his wide receivers there's some talent there but you know Cornelius Johnson like there's some good players but they're not Superman they're not Chris Olave they're not Garrett Wilson um so they're not going to be a huge passing threat as a team um so i i think the problem for them is they're going to have to lean super hard on their defense in these coming games and luckily for them they've got a few weeks to prepare for their biggest games of the season so i think they'll do good they'll, they could be you know six and oh seven and oh uh but then they're going to have to really worry about some teams that can put some pressure on them from their offense and force michigan to kind of get in a shootout maybe and that's going to be rough for them so we'll see what happens at the end of the month. But right now they're looking decent. I, I wouldn't say they're a great team. Um, there are some things they definitely need to improve on. Uh, they're too one dimensional on offense, but um, they're, 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 they're pushing along and they're doing better than they're doing way better than people thought they would have done. Honestly. Like, I don't know about you, Andy, but I don't think I expected them to be undefeated at this point in the season. No, uh, you know, in fact, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, you know, this is one of the most interesting big 10 football seasons we've had in a few yeah, absolutely. Because, because there are some very interesting storylines, and in it, and it's in part because you didn't expect Mel Tucker to have Michigan State five and zero. You didn't expect Harbaugh to have Michigan. Not only, I mean, you might have expected them to be five and zero, but you didn't necessarily expect them to look good or, or at least competent doing it, or look consistent doing it. Uh, you know that 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 to me has made this a much more. The East has always been the power in the Big Ten, uh, so that part isn't different. But the fact that you have kind of those marquee brands looking like legitimate playoff contenders, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's been legitimate discussion that, Hey, there could be a big 10 playoff team. That isn't Ohio state wonder right. wonders. Like, and I think a- that that brings a lot of excitement. People see that and they go, Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like that, that changes the conversation a lot. I think that's a huge part of it. And it makes all of those conference games coming up very interesting for, for Ohio state uh, because, you know, it <laughs> Ohio state could conceivably be, on the outside looking in and you, you know, you tend to just take that for granted that, well, you know, when and you're in uh, kind of deal and looking at, you know, the schedule ahead, those, those games, you know, you don't get Iowa until the big 10 championship game. uh, And it would take a lot, I think for Iowa to not be the West representative in the big 10 championship game, like some weird black magic type stuff that I I don't, I don't think we're going to see, but, you know, getting Penn state on Halloween weekend, uh, and then Michigan state and Michigan down the stretch, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's uh, you know, geez, man, there's a lot of really cool football to be played yet. A uh, couple couple weeks ahead here where you'd like to see Ohio state be able to flex their muscles and find their stride going into that Penn state game. But uh, yeah, man, I, I did not expect Michigan to be doing what they're doing. Then again, 
you know, I, I keep making the caveat that, Hey, what, what happened in September, you know, they've been hot before, but now September is over. So it's time to really find out what the Wolverines are, are made of with yep. that. Let's go into my favorite segment of the show. Ask us anything. A good time to remind friends that the Dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11 warriors.com hats, shirts, stickers, you know, we're heading into the days of fall. So you might decide you need something a, a little warmer to snuggle in. You can find that too. Maybe you need a, maybe you need a hat to keep your, your, your dome warm as we find a bit of chill in the air on some of these football Saturdays. You can get it at drygoods.11warriors.com. And of course, as Johnny always reminds us, you can submit your questions to ask us anything via the email dubcast at 11warriors.com or hit us up on ye old Twitter, the one social network that hasn't let us down this week, <laughs> uh, unlike the Facebook and the Instagram yesterday, if you were part of, of that great outage that had everyone freaking out for about five hours. All right, Johnny, what do you got for us in the mailbag this week? All right. So, uh, We've got several really great questions um, this uh, this week, so I'm, I'm happy about that. So uh, this first one here is from Pete. So first time, long time listener. Thanks for the podcast. Look forward to every week. Well, thank you, Pete. I appreciate it. Uh, here's my question. Any way to have Kyle Jones on after every game? He makes us all smarter about football. God, he's uh, so good. He's so good. He's, he's fantastic. Study. Yeah. And Kyle, Kyle's a busy man. He does, he does a very important job. Uh, but, uh, we will, we do need to have him on, especially after like these, you know, schematically significant games, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, tell, I tell you what, uh, I would say this, if, uh, if we see the defense again, you know, versus Maryland look like they did against Rutgers. Yeah. We'll have Kyle on to talk about what the hell Barnes and company did. Did they, you know, get a young priest and an old priest? Like what, what exactly <laughs> happened? Cause I, I, that that's, yeah, that's exactly what, um, what we need to talk about. I, yeah. Yeah. I no agree. problem. We'll, we'll uh, put the marker here, down now. Yeah. Uh, next one here is from Matt who, uh, basically says uh, he's talking about the, the cave on Pope, uh, situation. So as a viewer at home during the high state Akron game, my experience with the Pope story was hearing the announcer's mission, the kerfuffle attempting to look up the tweet, but finding it gone going on to 11 warriors the next day and finding the screenshot of the deleted tweet. Um, so basically he, he just is surprised about how the story escalated so quickly. So he asked, did Pope deserve the opportunity to tweet in anger, realize his mistake, delete it, and then have that be the end of the story. Uh, AKA, or in other words, for us, 11 warriors or other news outlets, not to necessarily like report on it. Um, I have a feeling that Pope could have been dealt with internally by the team differently. If the entire country didn't see his tweet, maybe this is a question about the soul of journalism. When are people entitled to make private mistakes? And when are those private mistakes news? Yeah. That is a really interesting question. I got to say though, here's the deal. Pope Pope's an adult, right? Um, he was putting out those thoughts and feelings on a public forum for literally everyone to see. And I mean, it's, it's not like his account was locked or anything like that, or it was set to private. And if that were the case, I do think that that would have been maybe inappropriate to, to put that out there. But if you make a public statement, um, you know, and, and you make yourself into a public figure by being on national television and, you know, kind of doing what you're doing, then, yeah, I, I think that's kind of fair game. And I understand that he has the opportunity to, you know, make a mistake, whatever. But we also, to I think Eleven Warriors credit and all the other, you know, credit of all the other outlets reporting this, we also reported his apology and the and we, you know, said that he was very sincere in that and we thought it was really mature that he did that, and that's that's true. Um, but the point is, is that if you're doing something that's, you know, newsworthy, which I think that was, and in public, which it definitely was, then I think as a news outlet, you have a responsibility to report on it, and it sucks for him, but you know, that was also his decision. And we reported on that just as we did his apology. And I think that's what you have to do. I don't, I don't think you can really pick and choose sometimes if something is newsworthy mm -hmm. um, when it comes to something like that. Yeah. And, and I would add the step further. You, you, you made the point, which I totally agree with that. Hey, you know what? He's an adult. We're, we're not talking about, you know, a 15 year old who got right. off at halftime of his JV game. Like, no, this right. is, you know, real, real adult football. And, and I would say you can't have your cake and eat it too. If, if these athletes uh, want to have the benefits and trappings of say NIL, for example, or others who would even take it a step further and say, Hey, you know what, these kids, uh, these young adults need to collectivize and, and get 
these TV rights holders to pony up some dough because there's a lot of money out there being made by people who aren't the athletes on the field. So if you believe those things and you want the athletes to have more agency and, you know, the freedom to transfer, for example, and the freedom to kind of come and go and monetize their, their talents, uh, all of which you and I support, then you also have to, you know, be able to own up to your mistakes. And mm -hmm. when you say F Ohio state on your Twitter at halftime of the game, after storming off the field, because you didn't get playing time, you know, I'm sorry. I don't have any sympathy for you. I mean, I can, I can empathize the yeah. frustration and, you know, let he who's never popped off in anger cast the first uh, mean tweet. You know, like we've all been there. Right. And at the same time, you know, if you throw the double birds to your, uh, in, in, you know, employer, so to speak, uh, in a huge forum like that, like you got to expect repercussions. It, it just, yeah. it is what it is. And I would say, you know, on the journalism question, which I think is a really good one, uh, social media has changed the ability for companies, schools, programs, businesses to deal with these things internally. Absolutely agree that 10 years ago, this would have been dealt with internally. You know, there would have been some, some, you know, maybe he still would have transferred uh, if the transfer portal existed in this hypothetical 10 years ago, but everybody wasn't live tweeting their way through a football game right. in, in real time, you know? Yeah. Before, um, before Twitter, it would have been dealt internally, but before Twitter, you also wouldn't have had the opportunity to pop off in the middle of a yeah, game right 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 to it's a gigantic a, audience of people so exactly it's, right you know and i'm sure there i'm sure there are plenty of players who wish they did have that opportunity you know 20 or 30 years ago to hey, do i mean exactly i mean look that. you know look if you go back to the 2015 season and zeke elliott basically burned the thing down after that michigan state game right right and we actually i mean a lot of people applauded him for doing that which i think he was justified in being pissed off uh, after that game and, and that's and that's when you can do that and it's, and, and these it's okay. situations are not similar you know like yeah. zeke wasn't pissed because he wasn't getting the carries or anything you know like it was right. but but this is it, it i just i i think it comes with the territory like if you want to play big boy football at ohio state you, you gotta you know you gotta be ready to ride the whirlwind and yep. and i can feel bad for him individually that hey damn wish thing is that things had worked out better for you as a person and at the same time you know look the saying there is no man bigger than the university is a real thing. Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer stand witness to the fact. Right. Gordon Gee, <laughs> Jim Tressel, Urban Meyer, Gordon Gee. I mean, the list of people who uh, are not bigger than Ohio State is long and forms to the left. Right. And Kayvon Pope is nobody from nowhere compared to uh, some of the people who have fallen on their sword in service of the, the brand. So, yeah, I, I can feel bad for the kid, but this is not on journalism, uh, for sure. And, and I, I don't even think Ohio state did the wrong thing there either. Yeah, now, and I don't... now I will also add the caveat and, and this is something I'm trying to, remember. I think this is, this comes from John Gruden or, or whoever it might be Nick Saban for all I know, but you know, you, you don't treat every player the same sad, but true. Like, you know, if, 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 uh, Aaron Rodgers is falling asleep in practice, uh, he's going to get a lot more, you know, falling asleep in film study. So he's going to get a lot more leeway right. than the fourth string quarterback, right. you know, like it's just, let's, let's get real. If Pope was CJ Stroud, you know, it might've been a different story. Well, and that's the thing though. I mean, he, he would be in the game, you know, and that's, that's what I'm, and I understand, but, but, but if you had a comparable, but if you had a comparable like social, because there's been star players who've been honked off at their coach before for whatever reason, you know, right. Like it's, I, but I guess what I'm saying is though, is that like when people view this and, and maybe that's where I would defend Pope a little bit is that like, and this is kind of what you're saying though, too, which is that he's just not, he's not going to have the cachet that no. somebody else would. He's not going to get the benefit. No, benefit you of the are doubt. not important enough to Ohio state. Right. And that's not really fair. And that does suck. And it's not, you know, but that's why I say Jim Tressel, Urban Meyer, Gordy, right. stand witness to the fact that it, exactly what it, happened it, to still, now Urban Meyer made his bed and I don't feel a bit bad for him, but Jim Tressel and, and Gordon Gee, you know, right. you know, there, there, there is a real part of me that says both those dudes should still be employed by Ohio state and got run out of town for, you know, less yeah, Jim than Tressel deserved to be fired for 
performance reasons, not because <laughs> you hush your I mouth. I wanted to see you. Jim you Tr- hush your mouth, foul defiler. Jim Tressel. Jim that Tressel deserved to be fired three years after oh. that for two straight seasons of going seven and six. That's oh. why he should have been fired, not for that BS NCAA stuff. Uh, you're so funny yes 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 yeah and and you know likewise all right gordon gee pissed off the the holy fathers in notre dame eh, you know i'm sorry like i don't care yeah <laughs> anyway um water under the bridge good question great discussion so we've got another question here from bryant who is a really just a fantastic follower of the WS. but i i'm going to actually leave that one this is kind of a complicated one i'm going to leave that one for next week i want to afford you because usually i do this off the cuff and you see him for the first time, you hear him for the first time, Andy. I want to give us a little bit of prep time. So I'm going to okay. forward this question to you, and then we'll prepare it for next week. Uh, and the last one, though, here is from Alvin, our good friend Alvin, who wants to know, first time potential home buyer here, any tips? Is owing a, owning a house still an American dream, or is that of the past? Um, first of all, I'll tell you, as a first time homeowner myself, I'm, I'm currently sitting in the home that my wife and I bought. And that's our first house that we ever bought. Um, I have no advice. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a millennial who came of age in 2008, 2009. That's when I graduated college, you know, and got my, you know, got my bachelor's, got my master's going to be great. And no. <laughs> so I, I have no useful advice whatsoever to give you other than don't trust anybody who tells you that a house or a home is just this permanent you know wealth builder because i like i said i'm a cynical millennial and i don't believe that for one damn second don't believe it if you want buy a house that's great best way to build equity but don't believe that it's going to be this you know panacea to your your financial woes as a you know retiree because that's bs and they lied to us they lied Light, yeah, Andy. I I would I would agree with that in, in that I would, I'm not counting on our home being our source of wealth in our golden years. I I agree with that. Uh, let I me also- let me tell you something real quick. Just real quick. This is what I'm sorry, but I get I get kind of pissed about this. My parents bought their house, okay, Middletown, Ohio, for like I don't I, I forget what it was valued at in 1989. Whenever they bought it, okay, with inflation. It's worth exactly the same amount as it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they bought it. And that is insane. And that's and it's not insane because it's it's you know wrong or something like that, although it is kind of messed up that that's what's happened. But it's insane that they were told, their generation was told that that wouldn't happen. There was no possible way that something like that could happen. Mm -hmm. That if they bought a house, you pay it off, you own it. By that point in time, it's tripled quadrupled in value you're going to be great you're set for life the fact that they were told that is insane and i am just telling you alvin don't fall for that don't fall for that as many millennials still did because their parents were told that and their parents told their kids that don't believe it because i i don't trust that at all i love that the fact that we have a house and i can you know have a family and raise my kid in this house it's fantastic i like great house um but I, I don't trust, I don't trust the industry. I don't trust the projections. Um, I'm playing it super cautious. I would, uh, I would, I would say a few things in terms of advice, you know, so I'm, I'm you know, broadcasting from our second home, uh, stunning Mrs. Vance and I have, have owned together. Uh, I've been a homeowner for you know, better than a decade now. Um, you know, things, things I would say I have either or learned or, thoughts that I had that have been, um, affirmed by homeownership one, uh, you can learn to do just about anything via YouTube. So if there's something that happens there, there's always something that happens that needs to be fixed or repaired or maintained or updated. doesn't matter. I've lived in a house that was, you know, 20 years old and and our current home is, is, you know, closer to 90 years old. Uh, so YouTube is your friend. And so find some handy YouTube videos. You can do more than you think you can, even if you are in that description of Johnny uh, outlined, you know, the millennial and, and I'm nowhere near as handy as my dad, uh, dad could fix anything. I am for sure not in that boat. Uh, but I can watch a few videos and, uh, you know, change the faucet in the sink or, uh, redo the shower head in the bathroom or, you know, so there are things you can do more. I do have a couple of non-negotiables like most electrical things I don't do. Although I say that I did rewire all of the, um, 
uh, fluorescent lighting in our basement to run on LEDs. So nice. I guess that yeah, was... you can do, I mean, small stuff like, you know, my wife and I have installed, uh, you know, like ceiling fans and stuff like yep. that. Done, done ceiling fans. Yeah. You know, done ceiling fans, light fixtures. Um, I don't like to mess with outlets and, and switches as much. Uh, I just always envision that I'm going to kill myself, uh, yeah. from, electricity so so uh but the other thing i would say is be really conscientious about what contractors you choose for those kind of things so like mm -hmm. we had some electrical work done here you know do your research um to, to borrow a misused phrase on the internet do your research and and get um really good trustworthy people because there are a lot of crap uh contractors out there and a lot of crap um uh trades professionals out there what professional wouldn't be appropriate but people in in those trades that you know you just do do the research and make sure you find people that are trustworthy like the the facebook groups and next door groups of the world are littered with the carcasses of people who got stiffed by by contractors um understand that it, it will be a constant source of work there is always something to be done from lawn care to landscaping to oh we need to replace the windows or the roof or the the whatever so i would say continually be building a capital expense fund you know set aside a little bit of money every yeah. month to replace the big ticket items like a furnace or a roof or windows because you're gonna have to do them all in that way you know you don't get into the trap of using a home equity loan or a home equity line of credit as a as a giant atm when you need to replace the windows or yeah. the roof. Well, and also furnace. check out and see what might be covered too uh, when you do that. Cause you might be surprised at what you can get done early on. So maybe take an inventory of what you're able to, you know, kind of upgrade or change or fix yeah. um, in, in that initial period. Cause that's always, that's a good opportunity, especially when you're motivated to do it um, and just get all that taken care of. And there's always going to be like, you got to prioritize. There's always going to be certain things you got to take care of first and other things you kind of live with. And then, you know, just kind of work down the list if you can. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, contractors figuring out who you're going to work with. That's also really, really important. I totally agree with that. We've been really lucky. We've gotten in some really good uh, guys to come in and, and take care of stuff that we need to get taken. Yeah, of. yeah, same here. We've been we've been very fortunate. And I think it's because I've, you know, done the legwork up front. So then when I read. Yeah, I got to do the stories. research, look at reviews, see, you know, get references, all that kind of stuff. Yep. That's really important. Yeah, so <laughs> absolutely good good luck uh yeah good, definitely you know, good luck it's i mean I, to me it's worth it like just the the financial doors that it opens if you manage it properly you know as you say best way to to build equity and, and so on don't count on it being your retirement savings by any stretch that's what mm -hmm. your your 401k your ira your investment account etc for um yeah and, and think about your exit strategy too you know that's the other thing i i think yeah like we don't we, don't buy too much house don't go in and over your head be conservative on that if you can is my is what i would yeah, say yeah for sure our, our first house and our second totally different houses and and you know our first house we weren't necessarily thinking about schools and kids like we wanted a house that we wanted to live in right then and our lifestyle then and and you know when we sold it um some years later it was so that we could move to right. the school district we wanted to be in and right. be in you know more walkable neighborhood and all those kind of things so yeah just you know, be, be be thoughtful about that and understand too most of us probably aren't going to live in the one house for 30, 40 years like our parents yeah. did. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. That, that that's a that's a change, I think, from from our generation to our parents and so on. Yeah, I would agree with that. So those are our questions we're asked. Because anything is all great. Thank you for sending those in. And, and Brian, like I said, we'll get to that one next week. Um, but yeah, thanks for continuing to send those in and we'll continue to answer them. Huge shout out to uh, to Brian. You're right. Great, great, great follower and love the engagement on on Twitter. And shout out to Alvin because Mike man that guy is here every week and uh, i know, you know right? love it love it and i want to give a shout out to uh, my bff julio as well julio is maybe my favorite listener because he always makes me feel so good he sends me sends me a nice warm message after every episode and oh, uh, that's sweet makes 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 me feel good that's about nice. what we're doing here so so shout out to that guy too for for being a supportive listener while we're while Fantastic. we're spreading the love around to the audience all right uh great episode so let's uh let's wrap up with this ohio state up to number seven in the ap top 25 poll uh johnny you feel good about where 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 the buckeyes are in the poll and where they're heading now i want to reset this after the oregon loss we say who cares about the playoffs it's we just got to figure out mm -hmm. how to win football games how much better are you feeling about the buckeyes and their place in the college football hierarchy today than you were after the loss to the ducks i feel pretty good but i, I gotta tell you something 2021 is the year of spite for johnny so i feel even better that clemson isn't in the top 25 yes um 
Yes. I, like I honestly, I want, I want 2021 to be the year of settling accounts and just like, you know, we saw so many upsets this past weekend. That was freaking sweet. Uh, I want that to continue. This has got to be the year of spite and revenge. So I'm, I'm okay with that. And I think Ohio state's in the year of spite, they got their, they got their crappy loss out of the way. And I think they're about where they need to be. So I'm, I'm happy Connolly with- use the hashtag 2014 vibes. Are you getting the 2014 vibes? Yeah. I want the 20, I want the 2007 vibes. I want that is like, that is the gold standard for chaos in college football. As far as I'm concerned is your 2007. I like, I want that. I want that for 2021. So hopefully that continues. All right. We're going to leave it at that. Johnny, a uh, pleasure as always, my friend, another top shelf episode of the Dubcast, and we will be back to discuss what happens in college park when Ohio state and the Terps get it on next week, man, it's going to be fun. All right. Until then I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. This is the Dubcast.